Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. So I had the opportunity to meet General Keith Kellogg last week in the green room at Fox. I had so many questions for him about the hostages being released from Israel and what this means for Israel's broader goal which is to eradicate Hamas. My concerns stem from, you know, this ceasefire and this pause. How would that impact Israel's ability to then re-engage in war? You know, particularly at this time when they're facing all of these calls, all these international calls for a ceasefire, when they're facing pressure from the Joe Biden administration, who has continuously and continually has tried to slow walk Israel's ability to respond, slow walked Israel's initial ground invasion, and then now has been putting pressure on Israel for this ceasefire. So I had so many questions for him in the green room. I just wanted to hear his knowledge, wanted to hear his feedback and his wisdom on all of this. So I got with my producer and we figured, why not have him on the show? You know, why not take the time to bring that conversation to you and to be able to ask all these questions to him? So that's what we're going to do for this show is just get his take on all of this. You know, how close to a regional war are we? What do you need to know about the current situation? And, and where is this all heading? General Kellogg is a three-star army general uh, who has extensive experience in the military. Uh, he was also the national security advisor to former Vice President Mike Pence. You see him a lot on Fox News as well. He's a great guy, smart man, and stay tuned for that conversation. Well, General Kellogg, it's an honor to have you on the show, sir. Uh, I saw you at the Fox uh, Green Room in D.C. when I was filling in for Laura Ingram, and, and you were about to go on and, and talk about everything going on in Israel. And and. I had all these questions for you about the hostage exchange and what it meant for Israel and what it meant for the war. And so I figured, you know what, why not have him on and we can have this conversation for the audience. So uh, it was great to meet you in person. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Hey, Lisa, thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. 
You know, so one of the things I was talking uh, with you about, sir, or asking you questions about is obviously getting hostages home is is a, a very positive thing. Uh, you know, Lord only knows what they've been through, uh, what the pain that their families have been through. Hamas has had these hostages since October 7th. So why now? Why are they engaging now? Yeah, Annalisa, I think part of the reason they're doing this is because the, the Israelis, the Israeli Defense Forces, have really put them on their heels. And they, the Israelis have a very good strategic and operational plan with Hamas and, and Gaza. And what they did is they cut Gaza, the Gaza Strip in half, uh, a line called the Wadi Gaza line. If you drew that right to the sea and then they cleared that to the north so they could isolate Gaza City, which is really the, the center of gravity, the, the most important part of where Hamas is. And then they started to reduce it, reduce meaning buildings, infrastructure, uh, Hamas terrorists. And I think Hamas saw that and they were on their back foot and they said, okay, we need a, a way to have a breathing spell. And they're using the hostages in that regard. And they're actually, they Hamas are being supported actually indirectly by the United States in the sense that we are pushing Israel to come up with a pause, which is going to a ceasefire or an armistice long-term, which I think is a huge mistake. Uh, they should let Israel finish the job. So they're using the hostages as a reason. And you know, look at look what they're doing. They're metering them out. And they can't release all the hostages if they're right now on their current timeline. They just can't make it, uh, especially when you're looking at a three-to-one uh, transfer with three Palestinians to every one Israeli or a foreign national. So the question you have to ask is, okay, what does this mean for the long term? Oh, by the way, they've only released one American, and we're not sure how many they've got. Because the second part of that is, this is what I was with John Roberts yesterday explaining to him. I said, my biggest concern, and I think it's going to be borne out, is that Hamas doesn't know where all these people are. They have no idea who they have or where they're at. They don't have a good, what we would call in the military, a manifest uh, that documents how to reach these people, how to reach the organizations that are holding them. So I think over the long term, one of the reasons why they want to meter them out is because they're not sure who they do have and who they don't have. So again, it's, it's, it was a long answer to a short question. They're looking because of, they want to get it to their advantage, go to a ceasefire, which they want to go for a long-term armistice. And then that just actually is detrimental to the Israeli effort. And now that we've had this pause, I mean, Israel has faced a tremendous amount of pressure for a ceasefire internationally, um, as well as from the media. Is it going to be possible for Israel to re-engage uh, in their overall goal, which is the destruction of Hamas? Well, it's going to be hard because anytime you're in an operational pause, when we talk in the military of an operational pause, we're only talking generally hours. And that's to refit, rearm, take a deep breath and go at it again. When you're talking days or weeks, then the whole idea of having the offensive capability uh, is reduced considerably, not only in, in thinking through it, but in the ability to fight and being able to find out where these people are at because they're able to reconstitute themselves. So I think over the long term, it's a huge mistake. And that is that is where the duality of this really bothers me. And what I mean by the duality, if you've got our administration here in the United States, the Biden administration, saying, well, we need to have a ceasefire, pause, long term, worry about the hostages. What they have not talked about is the ability for the Israelis to eradicate Hamas. And when I say eradicate, I mean that in the purest definition that you find, which means the elimination of all of them as leaders. And that includes, and I made this comment on the air yesterday, so I'm not running from it. That includes Haniyeh, uh, who is actually the, the Hamas 
Hamas uh, political director in Qatar. And I said, he's one of those guys that, you know, you need to look at real hard by taking him out as well. And what Biden, now here, and let me just do the, the bridge with you. And here's what really bothers me with the Biden administration. I have no idea why Joe Biden hasn't picked up the phone and called Sheikh uh, Altani, who's the emir, the leader in, uh, in, uh, in Doha, and say to him, okay, you are also harboring the, the Hamas leadership, pri- primarily Haniya, there. Why don't you tell us how many Americans you've got? Or why don't you tell me where they, all the hostages are? And he hasn't leveraged that. And I think it's a big mistake. There were a ton of reports about, and, and Biden, I think, even more or less referenced this on 60 Minutes soon after the terror attacks. You know, why has Biden pushed back and tried to slow walk Israel's ground invasion initially and then has also interfered and tried to, you know, get these ceasefires as well? Uh, why, why is this administration so seemingly opposed to eradicating Hamas? You would think that would be a shared interest. Yeah, it's a great question, Lisa. And, and I think it's in his DNA as the commander in chief. Look, I, I think of the White House in the Situation Room and who's in there like a giant funnel. And you pour all this information to the funnel and at the bottom end of the funnel, there's only about seven or eight people who really end up making or helping with decisions. That's the president, the vice president, sec state, sec def, national security advisor, uh, a couple people like that. And I think what you look at, the, the ultimate decision maker is always the president, constitutionally in itself, and he's always risk averse. And I reminded what Bob Gates said, his former secretary of defense and former CIA director, he said this on a CBS television episode and also wrote in his book that Joe Biden has been wrong on nearly every national security decision in, in the last four years. And we all have in our DNA uh, how we react. And you and I, we probably both go to the same service station, same grocery store, walk the walk the aisles the same way. Uh, you know, we, we go to the same salons, whatever it is, it's always the same. And that's, he's got that DNA. He's developed this. And bottom line, Joe Biden is risk averse. He talks really good, but he doesn't play very well. And that has been historically his pattern. I remind everybody that when Obama went after bin Laden, and when they were in the Situation Room, the word out of the Situation Room, there was only one person who tried to push back on Obama and said, don't do it yet. And that was Joe Biden. So it's, it's in his DNA not to, to have, have risk or do risk. And I think that's the big difference between he and the Trump administration, where we would advise Trump and then he would make the decision understanding the risk. In this administration and Biden, I don't think he's got advisors I think he's got enablers, and there's a huge difference. Enablers, basically, you all agree, and then you go forward with an action. You know, I'm reminded of what Peter Drucker said. He was that great management guru since past when he said, if everybody in the room agrees with you, get rid of everybody in the room. So basically have people as advisors that would push back. And we did in the Trump administration. So it, it's a long answer, short question, and I just think it's in his DNA not to do it. And it's proven time and time again. And by the way, this you can track this not only what's happened with um, with what's happening in Israel, but he did the same thing with Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, I think you know Obama kind of nailed it too when he reportedly said, "Don't underestimate Biden's ability to f things up," because <laughs> you <know>, the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I use that sometimes too, yeah, as like, well. I no, no kidding, right? Uh, and looking at everything going on, both here domestically and internationally as well. 
You know, I, I was worried about this because I, you know, I was at on Fox uh, the weekend that the terror attacks happened and was co-hosting uh, the big show. And, and I remember talking about how my concern was that Israel is not just going to be fighting a war, but they would be fighting a propaganda war, too, and that Biden would end up kind of kneeling to the pressure that he would be facing. Um, you know, we're sort of seeing that happen. I mean, how complicated is that when you're trying to fight a war, but then, you know, you're also facing this propaganda war, including having the military push the Gazan Ministry of Health, which is Hamas. And you're right on it. And they've kind of captured, they, Hamas has kind of captured the narrative on this. You know, this is a war of extinction between both. And I'm I'm listening to Bibi Netanyahu, you know, the Prime Minister of Israel. I'm fascinated in each of his speeches. He always goes back and he talks in biblical terms. You know, in his first speech out, he went back to the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes 3, you know, time for all seasons. And he said, there's a time for war, there's a time for peace, this is a time for war. And I said, whoa. And every time he's talked now, he goes back and he talks like that. And so you have to, my belief has always been it's very important you look through the lens of the other person. What is that he or she seeing that I'm not seeing and how they're talking? So Hamas is clearly in their written charter talks about the elimination of of Israel um, and the Jewish and the Jewish people. And they call them a Zionist state. And I think the Israelis understand that. And I don't think we do. And I think we've put it where we've kind of said, well, this is just another one of the local wars they've had. No, this is much, much deeper. They lost more people on the 7th of October than they've lost day the Jews since the Holocaust. And if you look at it, if you basically do it uh, as it would be per capita with the United States, we're talking thousands of people killed instead of just hundreds. Uh, so I think they look at it this way, and I think there's a frustration there um, that, that has not been explained well, or people don't have, and I hate to say this, Lisa, I don't think some people have a moral compass. I mean, it's very clear to me, and I've got some moral certitude on this, that I believe historically, if we said at the end of World War II, we would never tolerate this, we, the civilized population of the world, would never tolerate something like this again. Well, this is our moment. This is our never again moment. You know, I've been a big believer that you can't have decency and depravity in the same neighborhood. And decency meaning the Israelis and depravity, I mean a terrorist organization. That, oh, by the way, we declared a terrorist organization in 1997. I don't know what's missing here. Uh, we should understand that, and we should have the narrative. Now, I think where the problem is, and the solution is the same place, is I don't think Joe Biden has been gone on national television and been the moral leader of this nation when it comes to this, when he, when he's talked about just Israel. Don't conflate Israel and Ukraine together. Don't bring it together. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about Islamophobia. Islamophobia. Talk about what this means more in, in, from a moral certitude issue. And because he hasn't done that, they've allowed other voices, a lot of anti-Semitism, to take hold and to include on campuses as well. So I, I think that's the problem. I think there's a solution. They just haven't done it yet. We're going to take a quick commercial break. More with General Kellogg on the other side. 
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. I honestly, I don't just say this, you know, obviously as a conservative who, um, you know, obviously doesn't support this administration. I, I just really do think Joe Biden lacks a backbone. And we've seen it even, you know, he changed his position on the Hyde Amendment during the campaign in 24 hours. He just doesn't stand strong on any. I don't really think he believes in anything besides politics and staying in office. And, you know, like I, I, he just really is the epitome of what a politician, a weak need politician. It was even reading some articles on the the prisoner, the Palestinian prisoners and, and CBS was talking about, you know, ooh, teen Palestinian prisoners, like trying to act like somehow these people were innocent. And, you know, you could go back to 2011 when the Hamas leader was exchanged in a prisoner exchange in, in 2011. So we're not talking about just regular civilians that are being released from these Israeli jails. We're, we're talking about many of these people who engaged in terror attacks against Israelis. The narrative has picked up that it's, it's an equivalence. For every Palestinian they've released, you, you know, they've released Israelis. The Israelis were taken by an incursion, an invasion of Hamas into Israel. The, the, a lot of those Palestinians are in jail because of what they've done to local police or civilians as well. You know, that's one of the things we did in the Trump administration. We we took money away 
from the Palestinian Authority because they had a pay for slave program where they would pay money, a big stipend out, if somebody in uh, Palestinian would kill, shoot, wound, maim uh, an Israeli civilian. And what happened is the Taylor Force issue Act came out because one of them killed an American, happened to be a West Point graduate, happened to be in Tel Aviv, and he was killed. And so we basically said, no, that's not going to happen. We're not going to give it to you. Now, they've reinstituted the funding back into um, into the Palestinian Authority. And it's one of the reasons why I think that the Palestinian authorities can't be allowed to do something in a new Gaza. I think they need to bring somebody else besides a boss because, you know, his portfolio is shot out. Um, and there are people out there. And I said that yesterday to some people. There are some people out there that have actually... I think Israelis could work with and that are Palestinian, not Hamas. Um, and long term, they need to think like that because somebody has to think, Lisa, long term. How do they get out of the box they're in right now? And they're in a box. Joe Biden isn't going to help. Them. Uh, you're absolutely right. He's risk averse, but it's in his DNA. It's the way he is. And I think is it, nobody's pushing back on him and his advisors. I think that's been proven from Afghanistan to now. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I just think he's a coward. We've seen a lot of attacks on U.S. bases in the Middle East following the, the terror attacks, a lot of attacks on U.S. soldiers. What do you think the goal of those attacks are? Is it is it just to kill U.S. forces? Is it try is it to try to get us to engage in a war? Uh, what's the objective with those? Do you think and and how concerned are you that that could lead to something bigger or even worse? You know, could kill a bunch of U.S. Uh, soldiers. I think they're deliberately tweaking our nose. We we the United States by doing these attacks, and it, it's well over 70 right now. You know, I'm remi- I remind people, I said, go back to the State of the Union address by President Trump uh, in January of 2020, when he said very clearly, uh, and you can people can find it, you know, on Google or on tape, if you attack an American, he didn't say kill, if you attack an American, your life is forfeit. Bingo, got it. Real clear message was sent out there. And I think what they're doing right now is they're just harassing and showing to the, to us, they're kind of saying, see, we can kick sand in the Americans' face, and they're not going to do anything. And it lowers our prestige level in, in the region because they're saying, Jesus, the Americans, with all the combat capability and capacity they have in the region, which is significant, they're not going to do anything. I think the first thing that's happened is through our protecting power, which is the Swiss with Iran, because we don't have relations with the, the Iranians, diplomatic relations, is we should have passed them, you shoot another, you use a drone to shoot at an American base, and all of your drone factories are at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning going to be gone. And you use your Tomahawk land attack missiles, and they've got over 600 of them uh, in the Gulf region right now. You just start doing it to this infrastructure, and then you just go up the line. You say, okay, the next one is this until you get the supreme leader and then you tell Khomeini okay you're going to put a t-lamp through your front door and once they understand you're serious they're going to back off but they don't think we're serious about anything and my concern again is if they kill an american then it's going to be what does biden do then and then then the, the voices are going to be raised why didn't you do something earlier and that'll be a good question it goes back to what you said you said he's a coward i can't disagree with you at all but he's not willing to take the hard hard risks to do anything. Um, you, you know, that was one thing I admired President Trump. What I admired about President Trump is, you know, use the hockey term. He was willing to drop gloves and fight. He didn't want to fight. He was a reluctant warrior, 
And the first time I told him that, he got a little bit upset with me. And I said, you know, Mr. President, that's a compliment. You know, if you're a military guy, you're willing to fight for somebody who's not going to use you uh, in, in a stupid way. Uh, but if, if there's reasons to be used and the commander in chief says do it, you, you're confident that you're going to get the job done because the people believe in what you're doing or, or what you want to have happen. And, and I don't think we're there right now with this president. That makes sense because it, it gives our soldiers the confidence of, okay, if this is the go ahead, it's, it's a worthwhile go ahead. It's, you know, this is what we should be doing versus, you know, just sort of indiscriminately, you know, fighting wars. How close to a regional war are we? Will this become a regional war? If Trump was in the White House, the answer would be without question, no, because people wouldn't want to go there. With this administration, I think the answer could be yes. In a regional war, meaning Iran supporting Hezbollah, Hamas, Israel under pressure, the Saudis kind of standing back and saying, eh, I'm not too sure we want to play with Biden's administration. And then you kind of, it'd be a limited war, it wouldn't be a major war. But there's a lot of consequences, what we call branches and sequels from something like that. You know, what would happen in the Strait of Hormuz? What would happen in the Persian Gulf? You know, what would happen in Israel? What would happen in Iraq? So the possibility of that happening uh, is there. And that's the reason why the United States should act very, very hard and, and be very, very tough um, when, they, when they deal with the Iranians and they deal with the Hamas or deal with anybody in the region. You know, I'm reminded what Teddy Roosevelt said years and years and years ago when he said, when you strike, strike hard. That makes sense to me. Man, a few words and he gets it across. And, and that's what needs to be done. So I think the potential is there. It has grown significantly. I think just not in a regional war, but I am very concerned that I have, I don't think I've ever seen in my time that the world is as unstable as it is today. Uh, and I'm talking about what you're seeing in, in Europe with Russia, Ukraine, what you're seeing in the Pacific with the, the escalation of China as necessarily a regional power, but a global power, what you're seeing what's happening in the Middle East which you're actually seeing in South America and Latin America as well. I think there's more problems on your plate than you can, that you can handle right now. And I don't think they're good at doing a good job. They, the Biden administration, and I don't think Jake Sullivan is either being able to, uh, to juggle all these balls at the same time. And some of them are going to drop. It's a very scary time to be alive. You know, I, I obviously you, you understand it in very, very real terms as someone who's spent so long serving uh, your country. But, you know, I, I think just even to the average American, you know, we all feel how unstable everything is, this instability in, in the country and, and or throughout the world, rather. Quick break, more in the Middle East. Stay tuned. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold this value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. You know, there's been this intense focus on Gazan deaths. And, you know, one, we don't really know the exact number because Hamas is the government of Gaza and, you know, they're terrorists and they're liars. Uh, and then secondly, I mean, as sad as it is, I mean, it's war. And some of that is in- inevitable. What do you make of that and why this intense focus on, you know, numbers as opposed to why Israel's at war, why Israel needs to defend itself and what the ultimate goal should be? Yeah, I think part of it is a lack of knowledge. What I mean by a lack of knowledge is, from a soldier's perspective, war is terrible. And those that have fought in it know how terrible it is. And I remember it used to, when I would talk with the president or the vice president, I'd say, you know, before you go in here, you have to understand people are going to die, a lot of them. And these, you know, when you see these distinguished, the, the transfers up at Dover, that's a result of the decision that you will make or not make. And uh, and I think they just don't understand how hard it is. But historically speaking, it's a lack of historical knowledge, Lisa. You know, I, re- I remind people, I said, you know, I'll just give you some, I'll give you three examples. You know, when, when Scipio, back in the Third Punic War, back a few days, when Scipio Africanus went into Carthage, and they were so mad at the Carthaginians from what they'd done from Hannibal on, they basically destroyed Carthage. The last 70,000 they took as slaves, and they destroyed the city and then tilled it under using sand. Fast forward to the Civil War with Ulysses S. Grant, and he was sent Sherman in his march to the sea, and they burned it, and Sherman burned Atlanta to the ground. No military reason, just did it, sent a point. World War II, when you look at what we did with both Dresden and Tokyo, with Dresden, we just did that deliberately to, to level a complete German city for no military reason. We're just sending a message. And that's what's going to have to happen. And that's why war is so hard. And there's a, there's, there is not good accountability. And when you get into a built-up area or a city and you're fighting, it gets even worse. Because in, inside the rubble, there are going to be bodies. There's going to be civilians that are killed. But that is the reason why you never want to get into war. But if you get into the war, you need to prosecute it as hard as you can to, to limit the damage long term 
and bring it to a conclusion as best you can. And sometimes bringing it to a conclusion is conclusion is you have to be very, very hard. I mean, again, I made a comment, uh, you know, with John Roberts yesterday. I said, this is the time when inside the situation room, you need to have people who have nerves of steel and a steel spine, and they need to make those hard calls. And, and afterwards, they'll probably want to go up and, you know, throw, throw up in the corner because what they're doing is making sure that people understand this is going to be a very horrific fight and there's going to be civilians that are going to die. We didn't want this fight, but this is the way it's going to be. And you prosecute to its fullest because if you don't prosecute war to its fullest, then you're going to end up with another Hamas one year, two years, five years, 10 years down the line with no resolution. And I don't think the Israelis least can afford that. I think they've got to eradicate this and they need to start all over again. You know, when, when, when we were doing the Abraham, Abraham Accords, we actually went to Bahrain and we did uh, Peace Through Prosperity, where Jared Kushner went there and we wanted to show the, the Palestinians uh, in a briefing what this could look like. Palestinians wouldn't even show up to the meeting. So we never really got to show him what we tried to do economically because Trump always came at the world from an economic vision first. And then he went to a military version instead of the other way around, instead of a military or kinetic version, then into an economic version. It was always economic, diplomatic, then military. You know, and then also we know that, you know, obviously Hamas tries to increase those civilian deaths. And then, you know, even further, it's, it's you know, I think it's kind of difficult to differentiate between the average Palestinian and Hamas when polls show so many Palestinians support Hamas and have taken part in the attacks. And, you know, so there's. It's a lot of gray territory in that way. Um, can Israel go it alone? You know, if, if they continue to face this pushback from the Biden administration, from the international community, should they go it alone? Can they go it alone? I think if you're looking at Hamas and Hezbollah, <clears throat> I think right now they can contain it. But if it starts being involved with outside actors, Iran, they cannot. Then I think my concern then is, you go to a real escalation phase, and the Israelis are not afraid to escalate. And who knows where that will take them. But they are not willing, and that's the reason I said earlier, these historical references are very important, biblical references, because they really mean never again. And if they have to, they will use an ultimate weapon. And, and that means within the region. <clears throat> and I really believe that. So right now, I think we need to support them. They can handle Hamas. I don't think Hezbollah really wants to get involved because they're so they're now more of a political party than a military party in Lebanon. But I, I think they're going to be okay. But if they don't have our support, it's going to be a really really hard slog for them. Uh, and, and and what I mean by our support, the president needs to say, "Hey, Bibi, dude, eradicate Hamas." Over to you. Instead of saying, "Well, we need to worry about the prisoners, we need to worry about the use of force." which to me is an insult to the, to the Israelis when we start talking to them about the rules of war when the other side hasn't even acknowledged them at all. I said, guys, you know, if anybody's been following the rules of war, land warfare, it's the Israeli and not Hamas. Um, so I think they can contain it, but they need to finish the job, but they need our support to do it. And I think everybody's waiting in the world, waiting how the United States is going to react to this. There's a lot of countries waiting on the sidelines right now. Are they going to weigh in or not? And I don't think they're going to weigh in until they have firm commitment and confidence in President Joe Biden that he's going to do the right thing. I think they're just going to stand back and watch. Which is a sad state of affairs because, you know, I don't have confidence in this president to do the right thing, you know, particularly when 
all of a sudden the issue is Islamophobia after he polls with 17% of Arab Americans, you know, a clear, clear political move on his behalf instead of just doing the right thing. General Keith Kellogg, I've learned so much from you today. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we go? I actually go back to J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, who wrote The Lord of the Rings uh, since deceased. And he said, there's a great comment he made. He said, there's a lot of good in this world and it's worth fighting for. And I really believe that. And I think this is the time when you have to support people who want to fight, regardless of where they're at, for good in the world. And I think if we don't fight for good in the world, I don't care if it's economically, I don't care if it's politically, I don't care if it's militarily. It can be all those things or one of those things. Then I think we leave a huge mistake. And I think people need to sit back and really think real hard, think about history and think about how we got here and how we're kind of a blessed nation and, and what that means and pu- everybody pull together. I don't think this administration is to do it for us. I think we have to do it on our own. General Kellogg, I appreciate your wisdom and bringing this information to my audience and taking the time to join us today. It's an honor. I really do appreciate your time, sir. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me. That was General Keith Kellogg. I appreciate him taking the time to come on the show, learn so much from him. I hope you guys did too. I appreciate you for listening every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry radio discover more shows and movies for free 